have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Allie, we have Dr. Funnies with us today. And she is the brilliant brain behind an Instagram account, Mental Health Funnies. But today she's joining us and we're not laughing. We're talking about something pretty serious actually. Yes, Dr. Funnies is going to share her story of how she experienced discrimination against herself and regarding her pregnancy at her APA internship and just all the things that came along with that. It is so much. And just a trigger warning, um, this podcast episode does contain a brief discussion about stillbirth. So listen with care or tune in next week. Um, And to continue on with the disclaimers, this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, therapy itself, and we do not advocate for actual bad therapy or bad internship sites. All right. Well, this is episode number 80 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Hi, Dr. Funnies. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> we are so excited. We've been wanting to schedule with you all year. We had it, we pushed it back, but we are finally recording. And before we get into your story today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a doctorate of clinical psychology, received my doctorate in 2017. I've been in the field about 20 years now, working in various settings, you know, with veterans, addictions, residential, uh, have extensive background in psychological testing, 
uh, yeah, I've done I've done a lot of the things. Uh, currently, I work at a private practice as a licensed, well, a registered psychology associate, um, and I see individual therapy clients around fifteen to sixty-five of eight, years of age um, is what I see. I also obviously run the social media account, Dr. Funnies. That's been around since 2020, started right during the pandemic. Um, And it's really just a page to make light of some of the things that we go through as therapists or that we go through as consumers within the mental health field. So I try to make things uh, relatable to everyone. And we love your page. Yes, it always I know. It's so good. Every time it comes up, it's just like that little bright spot I feel like I need in my day. It's always on point. So good. Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well, why don't we get into it? What are you going to share with us that made you question if you were a bad therapist? Oh, goodness. So I was fired, terminated, let go, whatever the terms you want to use. They didn't want me there anymore um, from my very first doctoral level psychology internship. And if you are in the field, um, you recognize like a doctoral level internship is really important to have. Um, When I started the internship, you know, you think this is going to be it. You know, you do your internship and then you graduate the progression Mm -hmm. of how things are supposed to go. You don't think that there's going to be a moment where uh, you then question if that's even a possibility. Um, getting an internship as a psychology doctoral uh, candidate is super important. It's super competitive. You know, there's like maybe 200, and I'm just giving a number, there's like 250 slots for like 1,500 people, you know. And so if you don't get mm-hmm. it in the first round, you have to do it in the second round. And that's what happened to me. I didn't get caught in the first round, had to do it in the second round. I am from Maryland. I can say that. Um, and so the spot that I got was in the Midwest, a place that I had never been. Uh, and so when I got there, wow. not only was I adjusting to what it was like to be an intern, because this place had never had interns before. So they didn't know what interns were mm. supposed to do. I didn't know what interns were supposed to do. Um, there were two other, there was a total of three interns and we were just kind of like going with the flow and things kind of took a turn within a month or so of being there. Um, The person who hired me, she left the practice. Um, I was trying to get adjusted to the the culture. I myself am African-American. The area that we were in was predominantly Caucasian. Um, We had a number of incidents with, uh, you know, being pulled over and not getting any tickets. Like, one time, you know, my husband got put over at least eight times within two months and never got a ticket during any of those times. Oh, my God. So it was a it was a hard adjustment for me. And then once we figured out, OK, hey, this is what the interns are supposed to be doing. Uh, they're supposed to get this many hours of testing. They're supposed to get this many hours of face to face, this many hours of supervision. It was like the hammer kind of came down. But unfortunately, it only mm. seemed like it came down on me. Um, I was emailed one day saying, we want to meet with you. I did, and to mention also, I had four supervisors. So again, to anyone who's had supervisors, it's enough to have one 
that may not be the best fit, mm-hmm. but I had at least three or four, mm-hmm. you know. And so I got this email saying, hey, we want to meet with you. And so it didn't say what the meeting was about. And I simply asked the question, like, can I can I know what the meeting was about? And I was met with this kind of hostility of no you know, you just need to basically be there. And that had never been there. That hostility had never been there before. So I'm like, okay, what's, am I in trouble? Like what's going on? And so I get told I'm getting put in it on a performance improvement plan, which is a PIP, uh, you know, for those that don't Mm -hmm. know. And I had never been on one of these plans before. Um, I wasn't sure why I had to be on this plan. They were told that I was, um, behind in hours. And again, like I said, nobody knew how many hours we were supposed to get. Neither did they. Um, and so the performance plan was pretty extensive. It had a lot of things on it that I needed to follow. Um, or, you know, I would it would be upgraded to some other, uh, I don't know, level of uh, discipline or something like that. So I followed what I could. Um, I did everything that I could. I, I, volunteered to work in crisis center. I volunteered to work in the day program, anything I could to make sure I got these hours. And so within the first couple of months of being there also, I found out that I was pregnant. That was interesting and unexpected. Um, And so my hope was to tell the internship that that's what was happening um, and come up with some sort of plan, whether that be to end the internship immediately or to keep going until my daughter, you know, was going to be due, which was going to be in June. Internship wasn't going to end until like August. So they said we would go with that route. Um, but before I did tell them what happened, I had a, a testing supervisor who I met with um, on a regular basis because we had to do testing. And when I first found out I was pregnant, I didn't want to tell anybody because I wanted to go to the doctors first. So I informed her that I wouldn't be able to make supervision, that um, I had a medical situation I had to take care of. And she was pressing, like, well, what is it? And I'm like, well, it's a medical, it's a medical situation. You know, once I find out what's going on, I'll yeah. let you know. <sighs> found out about a week later, I came to tell her. And I say, oh, by the way, what was happening was that I was pregnant. And she has this sigh of relief. Again, she's Caucasian as well, just to give some preference. So she gives a sigh of relief and she says, oh, thank God. I thought, did she get raped? Did her boyfriend beat her up? Did she have a drug overdose? Like those, I remember these words vividly because that's exactly what she said to me. And I was just kind of taken aback. Like, why would it be those things? Uh, Why not something like, you know, I sprained an arm or Something interesting like that. Why these things? So that kind of set the tone for... uh, Yes, anything, you know. That kind of set the tone for our interactions. Um, There were times where... And if either of you have ever been pregnant before, sometimes you get pregnant brain and you get tired. So there were times, I'll admit, there were times where they... uh, There was particularly one time that I remember. She came in my office and I had my head on my desk. And I was asleep because I was beat. I was working like crazy and I was pregnant. Um, There was another time where I was supposed to call a client. 
I think I clicked the wrong box and it was a different client. It was like an honest mistake that I made. And so every couple of months we would have these meetings to go over my performance improvement plan because I never got off the plan, by the way. You know, and so when we would meet, I was called a liar. I was called uh, disordinate, you know, like unorganized. Um, She sleeps all the time. Uh, She the liar one was really was really the cake. Um, And so I had a male supervisor who I eventually just expressed to him, like, I'm kind of going crazy here. Like the culture here is crazy to me because I'm from the East Coast. Everybody here is from the Midwest. I feel like when I say things, people are not taking them for what it is. And they're thinking I'm like trying to manipulate them or there's something behind what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm being called a liar. This isn't cool. And so he he actually stood up for me in a couple of the meetings and he did say, you know, well, she's she's not this. And I can see that she's trying to do these things. And I really appreciated him for that because I it was always me on one side of the table and then the other four supervisors on the other side of the table. And it it made me so nervous that I ended up like recording some of the conversations, which they did not like very much at all. Um I try to explain it's because one, I was nervous about missing anything um, and wanted to make sure that I caught everything that you guys were saying. Because uh, there was times where, again, you know, they would say that I was lying about things. I remember another time uh, we were to have a meeting in the morning. Uh, the meeting was set for nine o'clock. My supervisor, my immediate supervisor emailed me and said, no, we want you to come at 10. So I show up at 10. I get in the meeting. Again, all four supervisors, they read me for 40 minutes about how could you be so late? No one told you you were supposed to be here at 10. This is what we're talking about. You're lying, blah, 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 blah. I had to just sit there and take it because I didn't know things that I could do, which is what I'm about to tell you now. Um, So after we got off, after we finished, yes, I know. After we finished the... yeah, the supervision meeting, I ran to my office to find that email and I found it and I printed it. I mean, I'm pulling it from the printer, like, please, please, please. I go back in there because they're still in there because they're meeting with another uh, trainee. And I say, this is the su- this is the email that you sent me. And the supervisor that sent it, she looks at it and she says, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And the other supervisors say nothing. Yes. Like, not a word, <laughs> even though they were just calling me liars and all. Oh my goodness. Not a word. Um, so time continues to move on. Uh, there's another uh, uh, trainee there who they also put on a plan, and she's just messing up her plan. Like, she's just uh, testing, giving people the wrong test. She's uh, using wrong dates for things. Like, she's just really not doing a great job. But she's not getting the same heat that I'm getting. Um, I felt like I was getting heat because one, because I'm African-American and two, because I was pregnant and neither, none of the supervisors had ever experienced pregnancy before and didn't understand some of the things that I was going through or how to support me with that. Um, so we get to the, the end of my internship. I had been there eight months. So I'm around seven months pregnant at this point. I'm supposed to meet for my last what I think is my last, you know, performance intervention uh, plan meeting, because I've, I know I've been taking scrupulous notes. I know I've met my hours. 
I've been volunteering everywhere. I mean, I'm working like 12 hour days. Like I said, seven months pregnant Mm -hmm. and where I was uh, living at, I had to catch a train there, like public transportation. I'm walking places like I'm really working my tail off. We get to this meeting and it's only one supervisor there. And I think that's weird. Um, It's normally four people. So she sits me down and she basically says that she they want to terminate um, my internship. And I was like devastated. And yes, yes. After eight months working my tail off, it's they're just like, yeah, we just we're going to terminate it. I said, what? Okay. Um, And then she calls security and actually uh, gives me my last check and has security escort me like physically (laughs) escort me out the building. Seven months pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to walk all the way. It was like two. uh, It's like at least a mile plus walk back to the train trying to decide what I'm going to do. Um, I decide to appeal it and try to fight for it. And people came in to try to uh, investigate and they uh, interviewed some of the staff there. Um, I'm pretty sure they interviewed, you know, the supervisors and everything. And the result of the investigation was they could find no um, issue with discrimination. They didn't see that there was any discrimination there. Okay. It's hard to prove that unless you are actually witnessing it. And even if you witness it, you have to have witnessed it, like experienced it yourself to know that that's what it is. Because it was very much microaggression Mm -hmm. type of insults and stuff like that. Um, And so they actually, this investigation actually had the uh, understanding that due process was not committed uh, properly. I was supposed to be able to talk to a training director before we went through the whole firing. I was even supposed to talk to someone before they put me on the plan to even let me know, hey, warning, right. if you don't do these things, none of that was happening. So they actually uh, suggested that the internship rehire me. I didn't know that's what was happening at the time. I thought I was just talking to the training director. No, they said, call her. You you rehire her right now. You call her, you talk to her, and then you fire her, and then we'll be done. And that's how it went. And then I ended up just... What? Yeah. Yeah. It was just... And my, my school, unfortunately, wasn't very, very helpful um, in this scenario. Plus, they're not there. They're all the way on the East Coast. You know, it'd be different if I had someone there. Um, so I ended up tucking my tail and coming all the way back to the East Coast hoping that my school could help me pick up the pieces. Unfortunately, when I got back um, after about a month or so, uh, my daughter was stillborn uh, at about eight months. And yeah, yeah, that was devastation on top of devastation. Um, So me and my boyfriend my husband now but my boyfriend at the time that was something for us to really like deal with and if anything it really did bring us closer together we didn't shy away from the grief I know sometimes pregnancy loss is really Mm -hmm. difficult to talk about and deal with Mm -hmm. and I think because of the way we handled it um, I've been able to to talk about it in the manner that I can and I know it can help some people you know but I just felt like an utter failure you know and I was like okay I'm going to go back into my school, they have their own training program with a list of sites 
you know, kind of like a consortium. Um, maybe I can get in there. Mm-hmm. They, they've seen what mm-hmm. I've been through. Mm-hmm. Let me go on these interviews. And my mistake, which I understand now, was I thought they cared about what I went through. They did not. Uh when I express what happened to me in these interviews, they took it as I was traumatized and I did not, I was not dealing with what was going on with me. Um, so they suggested that I go to therapy. I did. Um, it didn't work out for me because I didn't understand at the time, which I do now, like what type of therapist I need. Um, and so Instead, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. turned more to my husband and our spirituality and really just delving into what I can do. And I had a really good mentor who basically told me, like, look, when you go in there on these interviews, you just take accountability for everything that happened, regardless of whether you feel like it was your fault or not. Mm-hmm. You just take accountability and you tell them solutions to whatever the issues were. If you were late now, you make sure that you leave early. If you had a problem taking documentation, now you make sure that you you get your documentation done. And so that's the that's the mode I followed. I went back to my school the next year, went through that mode, took accountability for everything, and I ended up with a spot. Um, I was still traumatized by internships, uh, but luckily the spot that I ended up at was really they were really nice. They were organized enough. And they knew exactly, they had been doing an internship with my school. They knew exactly what to expect, um, what to tell me what to do, how I was going to get my hours. Um, so since that that situation, that whole internship situation is always, I feel like, in my background, but not as a necessarily a blemish, but like just really part of my story. Um, and I've always wanted to be able to tell it in order to help other people, especially those coming up in the field, uh, to know, like, it's, it can be a little rough out here with internships. Um, and sometimes you don't understand what your place is as an intern and what you're supposed to do uh, when you get there. This feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, 
cccs.care and sign up for free today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And now, let's circle back to the show. Dog, you're funny. That's an incredible story. And I think... so many psychologists can probably relate to this because the internship process is unlike mm. any other. And I know a lot of uh, pre-doctoral or pre-doctoral interns um, feel held captive by this internship. Do you want to speak a little bit to the why this was a necessity? And ha- did you feel <sighs> like you had to stay at this one site that was not that was abusive? Mm. <laughs> Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, from the moment you step into your doctorate program, you you hear about internships because normally the current class is going through the internship process and everybody's super stressed out. And when I did it many, many years ago, it was all paper applications. There was no virtual applications or virtual interviews. Like you literally had to go to these places. Mm-hmm. I remember driving to New Jersey. I remember, you know, places in Virginia. Like you had to go to these places to do these interviews. Um, and so if you didn't get a spot, you kind of knew that you were going to have to wait another year. If you don't get a spot at all, like that pushes back your mm-hmm. graduation time. Um, a lot of people, when you go into mm-hmm. graduate school or any upper any school really you want to graduate with the people that you came in with it's kind of a thing you know and I had to let that go um and not look at that at that as that was going to be an issue because this situation put me back about two years about two years um I should have graduated in probably like 2014 or 2015 I didn't graduate till like 2017 um but I kept going I did yeah and how did like Catherine was saying, like you, it sounds like maybe it did feel like you had to stay. Mm. Did and you said one of the other interns was put on a plan as well. Mm-hmm. But was there any mutual understanding with them? Did you feel alienated even from the interns? Like what was that process like for you, seeing how you were being treated, yeah. knowing there were also other interns? I definitely felt alienated, alienated and helpless um, because I was the only black mm. intern. So there's two doctoral level interns. They were both Caucasian, and then we had a um, a host of externs, so master's level um, externship uh, candidates, you know, that were there. And they were all Caucasian as well, except for one guy who was Asian. So out of the whole internship team, I went, and then let alone the agency where I was working at, I think there may have been one other African-American person, but they were in an administrative role. They were not in a therapist role or educational role or anything like that. You know, so I did definitely feel alienated because the people around me could see what was happening. I talk about it because I had no other choice and they would say, dang, that's messed up or dang, I can't believe they're doing that to you. You know, and one of the interns, she made a good uh, statement, which I always think about um, when I talk about like feeling discriminated against and, and things like that. And basically with the investigation coming back and saying, no, you weren't. Um, It's like, she says, it's like, you're not a credible witness 
to your own experience. And I'm like, that's, yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know mm-hmm. what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. You guys can mm-hmm. see it, but nobody wants to admit that that's what's happening. Um, so the internship really honestly only ended up getting like a little slap on the wrist, a little little sanction for, for that situation and what went through. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a very lonely experience. Like you were saying, microaggressions, you know, the mm-hmm. consistent culture of microaggressions. I mean, mm-hmm. that's oh, it's so interwoven. It's hard to actually pull apart and identify sometimes. Do you feel like the so I assume you went through the American Psychological Association match process, maybe? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. Do, do you yeah. feel like that processed, um, you know, valued, you know, your lived experiences or diversity and gave that consideration with the match? Because I know that a lot of mm-hmm. other we've we, I've heard so many different stories of, you know, getting placed so far from home at a site, totally not what you're interested in or doesn't fit your own personal beliefs. Um, but that's where mm-hmm. they matched you. So you have to go or you're not graduating. <laughs> Did, was that yes. your experience or, and, and if it was, what would you suggest? Yeah. <laughs> what would you, mm-hmm. how, how could you see this being different? Absolutely. My experience, uh, there's no talk of looking for an internship like that. There's only talk of getting the internship. At least again, I can only mm-hmm. speak from my experience and when I went through it, yes. it's just like, I don't yes. care if it's in, <laughs> I don't care if it's in Canada. I don't care if it's in Hawaii, like just get it. But you don't think about like, okay, culturally, it's going to be a shock if you're not from that area, if you've never visited that area. Now you have to live here for a year. What is that going to be like? Can you find a community that you can uh, resonate Mm -hmm. with within that area? Looking for things like that, I think, Mm -hmm. is, is something like a suggestion one can do. And then also within training programs, even having some sort of survey that the interns can fill out, you know, whether it be within their own home training program or those that they're applying to, to kind of give an idea of what they're looking for as far as a, a, a match, not just based off of what skills you want to build, what things you want to learn, but recognizing, like, especially if you have to leave your home environment, and you're going to be living somewhere else. Like, what type of environment do you need it to look like? Do you need it to be like hippie and artsy? Do you need it to be more like modern? Do you need it to be diverse? You know, do you need it to be of Hispanic origin? Like that I see is really important because you're going to be living there for a year and doing an internship, which is super stressful. So you want to have at least your environment be peaceful and one that you feel comfortable in. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Even after internship, you should still have a peaceful environment that you come home to. Mm -hmm. I agree. Now, I'm curious, did... It sounds like you got some support from your boyfriend, now husband. Mm -hmm. Like, was there anything else you found that helped you through those moments? Like when you were in a very different, like living situation, let alone Mm -hmm. working situation, Mm -hmm. like how did you get through those moments? Uh, Friends, you know, I have a couple of friends who I've been friends with since I was in middle school, um, well over 30 years now, love those guys. So being able to vent and talk to them and have people let me know that I'm good, you know, especially after the experience when I was trying to go through the internship process again, you know, my mother-in-law, my mom herself, uh, they were very encouraging. And unfortunately, my mom passed away in 2014. So she didn't get to see me graduate. 
with my doctorate, you know? And so my mother-in-law kind of like was trying to step in and push me and keep me focused on it. And then also my, uh, my chair advisor, because all I needed to do was the dissertation. <laughs> you know, all I had to do was write. Um, but it's hard to focus sometimes, you know? And so after I didn't get the mission, after uh, I came back to Maryland, I also found out I was pregnant again after the loss. So two months after my loss, I was pregnant with my daughter. So I have a daughter now. She's 12. She'll be 13. And I also have a son um, who is six, but he'll be seven on Christmas. And so when I finished my, uh, when I was really grinding, trying to get the dissertation done, I was about like seven months pregnant with him. And he decided he wanted to come early. He came two months early. Um, and I ended up having an emergency C-section. And as I'm in my hospital bed in recovery, I'm finishing my thesis edits in the hospital bed because I just wanted to get it done. Um, I didn't want to wait anymore. I dedicated, yes, I dedicated my thesis to my family, in particular my mom, um, because she was very proud of me. I I always knew that. And so each step I take in this field, you know, I just feel like I keep making her more and more proud. Oh, I have goosebumps over my entire body right now. That is like the strength that is so special. Like yeah. to see you come through this is just a testament to your strength and everything you went through. And now I would ask, I feel like this is a good point to say, like if someone was going through a similar experience through any of these pieces, yeah. so you said you learned a lot and things you know now, what advice would you give them if they were experiencing what you went through or something similar? I think the main advice is that I don't think anybody can really define how good of a therapist you are. I think you really do have to define that for yourself. And for me, I define it in my relationships with my clients. You know, uh, do they want to keep coming to therapy? Okay. Do they want to do work in therapy? Okay. Are they open to talking to me? Okay. Then I'm doing a good. It doesn't mean I have to have all these techniques and know the right thing to say and have had the best internship that I've come from and the best school that I went to. Um, Because for me, at the end of it, it really is about, are you a good person to be in a room with someone else and be able to hold that space for them? Couldn't have said it better. Dr. Funny, that is incredible. (laughs) And I can't help but relate back to being pregnant while finishing your thesis mm. and then also having children mm-hmm. while while working in private practice. Um, mm-hmm. You have been juggling so many balls throughout all of this. Um, what have you <laughs> learned about yourself through this process? Um, I learned that I like to be funny <laughs> in my sessions. I, I thought that was a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought that was a bad thing because in grad school, we were taught to be a little bit more stoic and, of course, taught that humor is more of a, a mature defense mechanism. But I do recognize, like, it does something in the session when it's properly done, you know. And like I say, I I, I know I'm funny. I say I'm funny um, because I, I know my timing. I know when to use it. I know when not to use it. 
I know how dark we can go. I know how light we're supposed to go. <laughs> um, so I've learned that that is my authentic self in sessions. And I need to continue being that because it, it's doing something. Um, you know, it, it does something for the clients. It builds the relationship. It doesn't show me as this expert and that I'm stiff. Like if I make a mistake in session, I'm like, oh, my bad. Like what? I thought that's what you said, but <laughs> I got it wrong. You know, I'm very much, I try to be as human as I can be because showing them a human side of me allows them to be the human side of them outside of the session. That's, that's the goal. I love that so much. That I feel like speaks to so much of what we talk about on the podcast. You are Dr. Funny, so we know that you are funny and amazing that you can have your social media account, but then hearing how you integrate in yeah. sessions, I love that yeah. so much. Oh, that's such great <laughs> advice to share. Um, and so where can our listeners find you if they want to connect outside of the podcast? Yeah, the best place, honestly, I'm most active on Instagram. So it's at Mental Health Funnies. And if you click the link tree link in my bio, um, you can get my other social media accounts. I have a TikTok, I have Facebook, I also have threads, pretty active on threads as well. Um, and then on the Instagram page, there's also a broadcast channel where I have been doing like exclusive little, uh, you know, messages. I send memes, like I'm that friend that will send you memes. So that's, that's what I do in the channel. And I also have just started doing like little stories behind the meme. So if you want to catch out why did I make this meme, you might want to join the broadcast channel Ooh. and you can find out. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that too. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. Well, Dr. Funnies, we can't thank you enough for joining us and sharing your story. So many different levels that interns across the world can relate to. And I hope that when you have more bad therapist moments, you'll come back and share them again on the podcast. Yes, I, they they are they come and they go. So I'm pretty sure I would I will be back and I would be honored to come back. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Of course. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to StopBadTherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. 